Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, good morning and welcome everybody that's tuning in, listening, wherever you may be. Coming from the First Baptist Church in Coleraine, Massachusetts. Uh, by the time we finish this sermon today, uh, we'd have studied halfway through the book of Revelation because there's 22 chapters and today we'll finish chapter 11, Lord willing. Last week we learned about the two evangelists, the two witnesses that God will send to preach the gospel message to the whole world. How is that possible? Through social media through social media, the TV. During the second half of the coming great tribulation period, today, like I said, we're going to conclude chapter 11, which is an interlude between the sixth and the final seventh trumpet judgments that will be poured out in the second half of the tribulation period. And it's going to usher in Jesus' earthly kingdom reign, called the Millennial Kingdom. So that's where we are today. We'll be reading, the, as I said, the last half of chapter 11, verses 14 through 19. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The, 11, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of, our, of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. Time has come for the judging the dead, and the rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Thank you, Rick, very much. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be here. We thank you for those that are listening wherever you are, for those that are tuning in wherever you may be. We thank you. And uh, we are so thankful for your word. We thank you for this wonderful book that we're told that if we read it, we shall be blessed. And this is all regarding future events that will surely take place because it's written in your word, inspired through your prophet, the apostle John, who witnessed these things, saw and heard with his own eyes the visions that you revealed to him and now revealed to us. 
Help us, dear Lord, give us understanding of these few passages of scripture today, because we need understanding, Lord, and the only way we can do that is by being in tune with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So we need to remember that the book of Revelation does not present things in a chronological order. It goes back and forth in different chapters. Uh, the, the folks here that are here today, First Baptist Church, I've put things in a chronological order for you. But in the book of Revelation, the 22 chapters, it doesn't come in chronological order. Sometimes it shoots ahead and then it comes back to different events. It doesn't alter the fact that it's all going to happen because it will. So keep that chart, will you please? Like, for example, um, this final verse is in chapter 9. They, they look ahead to when Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth. And uh, we know there's more judgments to come before that happens. If you look at your chart, it's going to call the vile judgments, which we haven't studied yet, which we will, Lord willing, in the future. Uh, in verse 14, it says, the second woe has passed, the third woe is coming soon. So that's not taking place. Uh, before he does return, the book of Revelation teaches there are going to be various judgments to be poured out on the earth during the coming seven-year tribulation period before Jesus returns. They are the seven sealed judgments when seven angels blow their seven trumpets, believe it or not, that unleash catastrophic events on planet earth that include the three woe judgments. It says in verse 14, I've just read it, the second woe has passed, we've already studied that, the third woe is coming Soon, the blowing of the last seventh trumpet, right at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, not only precludes the final judgment during the tribulation period, but also ushers in the return of Jesus Christ to set up his 1,000-year reign, otherwise known as the Millennial Kingdom. Verse 15, when the seventh angel will blow, because it's not happened yet, will blow his trumpet, that's the final angel, the seventh one, the seventh seal, spontaneous worship breaks out in heaven, we're told, in verse 15. And that's proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of this world is now over. It's going to end at the end of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, that's good news, that the kingdoms of this world is now over and the kingdom of God's Son is about to begin for thousands of years, thousands upon thousands. The earth has been subject to the kingdoms of this world where sin has predominated, polluted, and corrupted the whole of mankind. However, the good news is, one day, there's a day coming 
when Jesus Christ will come, return to earth, establish his 1,000 year reign. And like I said, this happens immediately when the seven year tribulation period ends. Jesus will return with his saints, that's us. He returns in his glory and defeats his enemies. We'll learn more about that in the future. I think it's referring to the Battle of Armageddon, which we haven't studied yet. But it's in your handout as well. So we Christians should not only anticipate the coming rapture of the church or our resurrection when we meet the Lord in the air, but also we should look ahead with optimism We've got a great future ahead of us where we shall rule and reign with Christ in his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And we'll have a resurrected better. We'll be perfect, just like he is perfect. Where on this earth, for the first time in history, there's going to be no crime. So you won't need any policemen. <laughs> there's going to be no crime. No corruption, no poverty, and no warfare, and no wicked despots like Vladimir Putin will be tolerated in Jesus' coming kingdom because Jesus Christ will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Hasn't happened yet on the earth. He will reign supreme with peace and justice and righteousness. Listen to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 7, and there's numerous, numerous, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. So it's going to be in Jerusalem. And over his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. So this is a, a prediction, a prophecy that will take place. Now verse 16. It mentions these 24 elders around God's throne. Uh, the Apostle John has already introduced those to us, if you remember, back in chapter 4 of Revelation, the 24 elders that are around the throne of God. Now, we don't know for sure who these 24 elders are. There's different uh, opinions and theories, but nobody really knows. Some people believe that they are the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that leaves 12 more, doesn't it? And along with the 12 apostles. So that makes 24. This is a theory, we don't know who they are. Other people believe this is a, it symbolizes the church, which we are part of, symbolizes the church. The 24 elders represent the church, represent Christians that are saved from 
Pentecost to the coming rapture. That includes us. We are the church. Amen? During the church age. We're living in the church age now. Okay? And once we, the, we get raptured, that's the end of the church age. But thankfully, you know, while we're gone and the tribulation immediately begins after we're raptured for seven years, we know there's 144,000 Jewish Christians that are going to preach the gospel to the whole world, plus those two witnesses. So everybody's going to have the opportunity to be saved during the seven-year tribulation period. And many, many, many will. And these will be called the tribulation saints. All right? Whoever these 24 elders are, we don't know, like I said. They are victorious worshippers of God around the throne. They acknowledge him as the supreme and holy ruler of all creation around his throne. Verse 17, so the 24 elders, they express their worship by giving thanks to the Lord and acknowledge that he is almighty and eternal. That's praise. That's what we should do every day. Amen. Verse 17, what do they say? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was. I think this version may be missing something at the end here. And who is to come. Amen? I don't see it in this version. Is it in yours? Who is to come? Does it say that? No. So, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Amen? He's not, not going to set up his kingdom yet. They express their worship and give thanks to the Lord. They not only worship God, but also acknowledge and praise him. The fact that Jesus has finally set up his coming kingdom on earth. Because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Verse 16, the end of verse 16. So this John is looking ahead. That Jesus has already established his kingdom. The tribulation period is already over. The last seventh seal judgment is done. You know, our concept of God, I don't know what your concept of God is. As a child, we, I used to think he was a kind of a, a, a guy on a cloud, you know, with a long beard and he was looking down on everybody. You know, it's like we're all little ants and going about and not really involved in our life. Well, he is very much so, isn't he? He's very much concerned about who we are and what we do. Our concept of God not only affects how we live for God, but how we worship God, like those 24 elders. To worship him, we have to worship him. Not just one day in the week for one hour on Sunday mornings, every day. Worship him daily. We ought to acknowledge that he is holy, he's righteous, he is almighty, and all things are possible for him. Nothing is impossible with God, amen? If we daily just submit, yield, we talked about this in Sunday school, yield to his Holy Spirit, 
believing that he will always provide for our needs. He's always there to help us in our struggles. He will always deal with every trial and struggle and problem that comes our way. He's not going to eliminate them. In fact, if we didn't have any problems, we probably wouldn't pray at all. Amen? Worship will flow through us with a heartfelt gratitude. Remember to give thanks to Jesus for all that he has done. What more could he have done than to die on that cross, to shed his sinless blood, suffer so much pain and agony in order to bring us to be reconciled to his father once again, willingly laying down his life so we could have peace on earth and a home in heaven when we die. So we need to keep our focus upon Jesus in the midst of all everything that else is going on in our lives and in the world. We need to keep our focus upon Jesus and then we'll be like the 24 elders and we'll live in victory. We'll live in victory and be optimistic. Like I said before, we've got such a wonderful future ahead of us. We're gonna, one day we're going to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom, in his coming kingdom. Then we'll be truly worshippers of God, like the 24 elders are, saying, because the Lord has taken his great power and will reign with him when he returns. Now, John tells us in verse 18, though, that not everyone is going to be happy when he returns. Because the, the heathen nations will be angry when he returns, and, and rightly so. Because he will destroy his enemies. Listen to Psalm chapter 2, 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage? Some versions say the heathens. Why do the nations rage and the prophets and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's that? Jesus Christ, saying, let us burst their chains. So when he's talking about there, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, not one person. Let us burst their chains apart and cast away their shackles from us. See, they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to be saved. And when Jesus returns to judge the nations, they're going to be angry. They're going to resent his return. The ungodly will be judged and receive their just reward because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. It says that in verse 18. The time has come for judging the dead. So who are the dead? Those that are, haven't received the Holy Spirit and been born again, who, are, who have received eternal life 
Time has come for judging the dead, okay? But as the 24 elders confirm, those who have received Jesus as their savior will be rewarded for their faithful service. You know, people may not see what you do at the First Baptist Church, but God does, and you'll be rewarded for your faithful service. If it's done with the right attitude, all right? If it's not done with the right attitude, you're doing it for some other reason. You've lost your reward. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your reward, amen? Okay, rewarded for your faithful service. How do I know that? Well, he tells us here in, in, chapter, in verse 18, he says, Time has come for judging the dead. Okay, that's not us. And now here's, here's us. And for rewarding your servants, comma, the prophets and your people. Who's that? Us. Who revere your name, both great and small. All right. And unfortunately, those that are going to be judged for destroying, destroying those who destroy the earth. In other words, to spoil it because of their sinful practices. You know, the reason uh, Ukraine is suffering and the people of Ukraine is because of one person. He's destroying. He's destroying the earth because of his, the way he is, his attitude and what he, he attempts to do to spread the evil doctrine of communism. That's what he wants to do. Blinded by the devil. Now, final verse. 19. John saw in the temple in heaven, a temple in heaven, and it will be opened, it says. Interesting. Didn't know there was a temple in heaven. And within it, his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. Tells us that in verse 19. Now, people have speculated, like they always do about the book of Revelation, and we can't be dogmatic. Even before that, you probably ask yourself the question, I wonder what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Because nobody knows, right? So people have speculated, because John sees this vision of a temple, and within the temple is the Ark of the Covenant. So people assume, and it's a dangerous thing to assume. That's why there's so many cults in this world, because they assume things that they don't know what they're talking about. They twist scripture to suit themselves, but Satan's behind the whole thing. Amen? Amen. They assume that this verse proves that the Ark of the Covenant must be in heaven because John saw the vision of it. Now, it well may be. I don't know. But the Ark of the Covenant that John saw in the temple, it could also be symbolic. It could also be symbolic because in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the earthly representation of God's throne. Amen? It symbolized God's presence. Remember, within the ark, you had the Shekinah glory hovering over the ark of the covenant, over the mercy seat. 
you see. So it was symbolic of God's presence. Amen? Included within the ark, there was the law, which guided God's people, the God's chosen people. Israel. God saw, John saw in heaven, that God will fulfill his covenant promises to Israel that he made with them in the Old Testament. So John's vision of the ark in heaven confirms God's presence and protection for true Israel. What, I mean, what do I mean by true Israel? True Israel are Jews that have received and will receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior during the seven year tribulation period. Many won't, but many, many Jews will acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and will be saved um, during the tribulation period. The Jews are gonna suffer tremendously during the seven year tribulation because we know that the Antichrist, even though he makes a covenant with them initially at the beginning of the seven year tribulation, halfway through he's gonna turn on Israel and they're gonna be persecuted, particularly those that receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior. This is why Daniel refers to the tribulation period as Jacob's trouble. And Jacob is just another word for Israel. Amen? So the Ark of the Covenant, it could be symbolic, it could be real. Whatever the case, it, it, it symbolizes, assuming it is a symbol, God's protection and his uh, presence with them, just like it was in the Old Testament. Okay? So whether it's symbolic or whether it's actually in heaven, the Ark of the Covenant, I do not know. I guess we'll have to wait and see till we get there. <laughs> okay, so it's because of their faith in Jesus Christ, the Jews that will be saved during the tribulation period, their salvation, their eternal salvation is secure because no power on earth can rob any believer of the presence and protection of God. Amen? Because as the scriptures tell us, I will never leave you, neither will I ever forsake you. So let's conclude. What happened? What John saw? It says there, were, there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe Hailstorm last night. Were you there? Did you remember that storm? Late, what time was it? Around 10 o'clock last night? It was like this flashes of lightning, rumblings. I mean, it's scary stuff, right? It's, all, it's awesome. It reminds you of the awesome power of God. And, uh, you know, this is what He's going to do. But it's kind of ushering in the kingdom. You know, it's, God is showing His mighty power. His awesome power over creation by these flashes of lightning and these rumblings and thunder and an earthquake. And a, he said a severe hailstorm. John saw all this in heaven. So it was just like when God gave the law 
to Israel. All these things happened. And everyone was afraid. All the Jews there, the people of Israel, when they came out of Israel and God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, you had all these things, flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder when he gave the law. Accompanying the ark, lightning, thunder, severe hailstorm, earthquake. These are all signs of judgment that precludes, I'm not sure I came up with that word, but I think it's a good one. It precludes the dramatic return of Jesus Christ to this earth at the very end of the seven-year tribulation period. Only believers, this is the good news for us, only believers in Jesus Christ will be able to enter in to his coming kingdom. Not so, unfortunately, with the unbelievers, the spiritually dead. They will not be able to enter into Christ's kingdom because Christ, God's absolute holiness and justice demands that all sin and rebellion against him will not be allowed to enter in. All will be eradicated, otherwise it wouldn't be heaven on earth, would it? It wouldn't be perfect before Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. Only believers will enter in to his kingdom, especially the tribulation saints. And we're coming back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period when he sets up his kingdom, his throne in Jerusalem. I'm talking about David's throne. Listen to Revelation. We're going to shoot ahead, but we'll get to it, Lord willing, in the future. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is what's going to happen when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. This is what John saw. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who's he referring to? Who's the one who is always faithful and always true? Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. Who could this possibly be talking about? And his name, well, he tells us now, his name is the Word of God. Amen. Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. The armies of heaven, that includes us. We're coming back with him, riding on horses. I've been on a few horses in my time, and I, you know, no one would want to ride those. I remember I was in Mexico riding a horse on a beach one time. The thing was trying to turn around and bite me on the leg. I wanted to make it go faster, but the thing was about 30 years old, and it wouldn't move. 
Thanks a lot. So anyway, we're coming back and we're going to be on sanctified horses that don't bite, that don't do this and they don't do that. And Jesus is, we're going to be following Jesus. It says, on a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. So where was I? Riding on white horses. That's us, church. Not the tribulation saints. They're still down on earth, right? Riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen. You won't have to do the laundry. White and clean. All right? You're not going to need tide. You know, it's going to be perfect. Now, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, the heathen nations that are left on the, in the tribulation period, the ones that are angry and resent his return, the ones that are not saved, that have rebelled against him, that refuse to listen to the 144,000 witnesses, that refuse to listen to the two evangelists, that refuse to listen to the tribulation saints that were witnessing to them. They didn't want to hear it. He's going to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter or a rod of iron, right? Not going to tolerate any crime. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. See, people don't want to hear about this. They just want to say how, how much Jesus loves them. Well, he does. But he's also a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. So he leaves us in no doubt who this person is riding on the white horse. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is scripture. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. I can't imagine how anyone could not believe it when it's clearly stated who this person will be. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Read it for yourself. Now those of you listening to this message, I want to talk to you that are unsaved, that you don't know Jesus Christ as your person. You've never been saved. You hope you will go to heaven if you believe in heaven at all when you die. But you don't know for sure that you're going to go there because you won't unless you receive Jesus as your personal savior. These verses that we've been studying today they're talking about Jesus Christ, of course, but not the gentle Jesus that we're so familiar, who came the first time, the gentle Jesus who came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's still trying to do that. But there's going to come a time when he comes back. He's going to wage war it says, with justice, he wages war when he returns. So there's going to come a day, and it's predicted in Scripture, that we've studied today quite clearly. There has to be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. 
and some of you will be found wanting. But it'll be too late. You'll go through the tribulation period if Jesus was to come back and we meet the Lord in the air, the church will. You'll be left behind. But it's never too late while you've still got breath, while you, you need to receive Jesus while you're still alive, before you perish, before you die. After that, it is too late. This is why we don't pray for the dead. For them, it is too late. They've had the opportunity. But while you've still got breath, you can call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, to save your soul. So you could be saved, so you could be secure, so you can have peace on earth and a home in heaven when you die. Now, you need to do that. It's a choice that you need to make. It's the right choice before that terrible and dreadful day of the Lord occurs. So let me close. Finally, I'll finish uh, Psalm chapter 2 that I read earlier. I read portions of it, but I want to finish the whole thing. All right. Psalm chapter 2. The one enthroned in the heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. This doesn't sound like the gentle Jesus that you've heard about. Saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Where's that? Jerusalem. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord he said to me, you are my son. This is God the Father speaking to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The millennial kingdom. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery therefore you kings be wise be warned you rulers of the earth serve the law with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son that's Jesus S-O-N not S-U-N capital S kiss the son lest he be angry with you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. You can take refuge in him. You don't have to suffer wrath. You don't have to perish. As long as you receive Jesus as your personal savior. And I hope and pray that you will. May God bless you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, even though it can be confusing at times because some of it is very plain and clear and others, it's uh, symbolic. It's a representation of what will happen in the future, but it doesn't alter the fact that it's true and it will happen. 
So we, those of us that know you as personal Savior, we are so thankful, we're so grateful that we have received you. We're so grateful that you seek and save that which was lost. And we were. And I pray for those that are still lost, that hear this message, wherever you may be, that they will call upon your name. That kiss the sun, lest they be angry with them. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I pray that you will convince those that they are sinners and you are the Savior and you died for them because you love them so much. You were willing to suffer in so much pain, excruciating pain on the cross and shed your blood so they wouldn't have to bear the punishment for their sins. And you rose again, having been buried. And you are very much alive. And those who have received you receive life. Those who have the Son have life. Those who do not have the Son do not have life. So again, Lord, we are thankful for the study in this book of Revelation. And may we take heed to the warning that is so clearly expressed in your word, which cannot lie. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.